What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it, and we are so glad to be able to do church with you. If we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter, and of course, this is my leading lady, Carolyn Haas. And uh, I'll tell you what, so a little over 17 years ago, we, we launched this church, but before we launched it, I'll tell you, I... I had heard about this church in Charleston, South Carolina that gives money to church planters. And let me tell you, like when we, were, when we were actually, we were living in Wisconsin at the time, we, we didn't know anybody in Minnesota, and we were raising money, and the only person who gave me anything was my grandma. How many of you guys know that's not good, okay? Because, yeah, grandmas will believe in you even if they don't believe in you. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, oh, Lord, what do we do? And I'd heard about this, this pastor in South Carolina who can give startup capital to church planners. And, and, uh, and it was this little organization that had just started called The Ark. Nobody had ever even heard of it, and I thought, okay, let's let, let's just let's just see what's up. And so uh, it, we we went there, and you know, we did all the like. There was this giant multi-site church at the time; they had dozens of locations. And I remember thinking, wow, this church is like the next level. I'd never seen a church or experienced a church, and it was pastored by a, a guy by the name of Greg Surratt. And of course, uh, long story short, we snuck into the ark. We were ark church plant number fifteen. And now I say that, now some of you are like, I don't even, I've, I still don't even know what the ark is. Well, let's just say since that time, it's, it's, it's planted over a thousand churches, many of which have grown over 10,000 members and is now planting churches all over the world, Ireland, UK, Europe, South Africa, South America, Australia, and of course, the founder of all of this, the very church that I talked about in, North, in South Carolina, the very pastor who got all this dream started is actually in the house, Pastor Greg Surratt. Would you come on up here? Would you come on up here? Pastor Greg, you have been, uh, it's been so fun to know you over 17 years, and, and you have watched Peter and I grow and get a little older, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> but you have, you've heard, listened to our tears, you've encouraged us. Um, for me, you've believed in me as a leader, oh. and, and that just has, you have no idea, um, just all the trips we've gone on with you, and you've spoken life, and Carolyn, you can do that, you should do that. Peter, you should do that. Nope, don't do that, you know what I mean? You've just coached us like a dad. You've been a spiritual dad to us, and, and I just wanna honor you and thank you because not only have you been a spiritual dad to us, which means our church has been able to grow and be healthy, but I've watched you exemplify your own marriage and your own family and your own grandkids. You guys, this guy's been married to his wife, Debbie, his girlfriend, as he calls her, forever, and, um, but you have four kids and their spouses, your 14 grandkids, they are all planted in the local church. Mm-hmm. They love God, they love the church, and they love you guys. And I can't tell you over 17 years of watching you go on this journey, what that has done for Peter and I. Uh, and it's you. reset our goals. Our goal is not to build the biggest church in America or the world. Our goal is to build a family where our kids and grandkids and our great-grandkids mm-hmm. love God, yeah. love the church, love us. Amen. So wow. we love you. Thank you. Would you stand to your feet? Give a warm substance welcome. Love you guys. Love you. Thank you. Oh, wow. Carolyn, you're going to make me cry. So it is great to be here today. 
in Minnesota. It's good to be anywhere but Charleston in the summertime. And uh, it's good to be here. I, my, my family, she's talking about my family. My son Josh is lead pastor at Seacoast. And uh, he, he uh, called Nate Pacini or texted Nate and said, I just want you to know that he's speaking this morning at Seacoast. And he said, I just want you to know that my message, his message, is so much better than what dad is doing <laughs> in Minnesota. And so that's the type of family that we, that we have. I'm married to uh, my girlfriend, 46 years, just a few weeks ago, and uh, we're having fun, and it's awesome. I love, I love Peter and Carolyn. Y'all love your pastors. You love your pastors? I do. I do. We've, we have literally preached the gospel and planted churches all over the world together, China and everywhere else. Uh, China is what I think about, because that's way over there but uh, Ireland and South Africa and just all over. And uh, it's just, they, they're my travel partners. They're so much fun to be around. And I, I mentioned in the last service that Carolyn preached one of the best messages I have ever heard in my life at our last art conference. It was just unreal, amazing, and uh, so proud of her, so proud of you guys. And, and uh, Peter uh, listened to his message last week. He's in a series on intimacy and uh, that message last, last week was so helpful on making good decisions and, and basing it on, uh, you know, the Word and the church and the Spirit. And something else I mentioned last service that I love about Peter is that he uses all the buttons on his shirts. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it didn't today, but he, he buttons them all the way clear up to here a lot of times. I can't even do that. My neck is so big that if I got a collar to fit it, is there any other... Guys like that in here. If I got a collar to fit it, the shirt is like this, right? So I leave this week. I left two buttons open. Some of y'all ought to probably ought to follow Peter in that whole deal. Just kind of looking around, but it's just amazing. So stylish. Just what an awesome guy. Um, let me ask you a question: uh, Who or what has been the single biggest influence? Uh, on your journey, uh, your life journey to date? Who's it been? Think about that. Who or what? It could have been parents who shaped your self-image. Um, it can be your spouse. It could be kids influence your choices. Friends, maybe there's a friend at some point along the way that influenced some decisions that you made. They're their biggest influence. I know a lot of people answer this uh, with uh, uh, a coach or a boss at some point. I know coaches in, in school have great influence with kids. I, I was influenced myself uh, by a coach. Maybe, maybe it's popular trends have influenced your fashion decisions. I was in um, Louisiana a week ago, flew down for a funeral, and uh, I looked around, and there were several uh, mullets, uh, <laughs> Uh, who was the first one that thought, this is a good idea, okay? <laughs> and they're back. I guess I was, I just thought it was Louisiana, but somebody told me they're, they're coming back, you know. Business on top and party in, in, in the back. Yeah, what, I don't know what, what's up with that. But uh, our personal experiences maybe have influenced you. Something, somebody or something that you lost, or maybe it was a, a you know, a victory, a, a gain, uh, in some area. What, what has been the single 
biggest influence. Do you, you have that in your mind? you have that in your mind? So let me tell you about mine. The church has probably been the biggest single influence in my life. I was thinking about that. The church, the church. Let me tell you a little bit about my family. Uh, so when I was, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. My dad is a pastor. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a pastor. And uh, one summer, my dad and mom went on a mission trip uh, for a month to uh, the Bahamas. And I guess it was missions work, I don't know. But they left us for a month with my grandparents in Rush Springs, Oklahoma, middle of nowhere. Grandpa had a little bitty, little bitty Assembly of God church there. And uh, two things really, really uh, were eye-openers. I remember them to this day. One of them, uh, my grandmother, while we were there, brought me a book, it was about this thick, written by Louis Weichmann, about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, who was my favorite president. I'd written stories, or written reports and all this kind of stuff. And come to find out, my grandma said, you need to read this, these are our people. And Mary Surratt was the first woman ever hung by the US government, ever executed by the US government um, for the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And those are my people. And what, a, what an eye-opener that was for me. And uh, it led to our family kind of being outlaws for a long time. And then my grandpa did something. He was a very private man, a quiet man. And uh, I remember he was sitting in his lawn chair, out, out in his lawn, and he opened his shirt up. And the first time I'd seen him without a shirt, he opened it up and showed me where uh, there were uh, a shotgun had, somebody had shot him with a shotgun and there were all kind of places. And then he told me that there's a place on his, on his uh, uh, artery right here and around his, his heart where they didn't remove the pellets. And uh, he explained that he was a bootlegger and uh, he was an outlaw and he sold bootleg whiskey to the Bonnie and Clyde gang, uh, to uh, Pretty Boy Floyd who uh, they all worked the Oklahoma, Missouri area there. And, uh, and uh, some people had tried to steal some of his whiskey, he found out about it, he went and uh, waited for them and uh, got in a gunfight and some guy opened up with a shotgun on him, and Grandpa uh, unfortunately shot this guy also and paralyzed him for life, which later in life became just something my grandfather just had a hard time forgiving himself for. But the point was is that he was an outlaw. We were, we were criminals. The Surratt family occupied some of the finest jails in the Southwest. And uh, until a little lady, two little ladies came to their town in Oklahoma, a little big town, and began to preach the gospel, had an outdoor revival, Brush Arbor. I don't even know what that means, but outdoor revival, and it wasn't going well, and so they began to pray that the meanest man in town would get saved and revival would come to their community. My grandfather was the meanest man in town, and he got saved and uh, totally committed his life to Christ and turned to our family. In fact, our branch of the family went from outlaws to, I was with one of my cousins a couple of days ago, uh, Craig Johnson, and he is um, a chief of ministries at Lakewood Church for Joel Osteen in Houston, Texas, and he and I were talking about the fact that there are almost 30 full-time vocational pastors in our family that point back to that day when my grandfather made a commitment to Christ 
of his life at a small outdoor revival in Oklahoma. I want to tell you something. The church changed the trajectory of our family. Now, not just from that distance, but I grew up in the church. The earliest memories that I have in church, my dad was a traveling evangelist, and um, we would go from town to town. We'd stay a week or two weeks at a town, and, and I remember one night, my mom wasn't at the meeting. We went to church every night. And my mom wasn't there for some reason. She was always there. I don't, I don't know why she wasn't, but I was sitting right here on the front row in a wooden pew in a small church somewhere, and my dad is preaching, and he's a Pentecostal preacher. I mean, he just sweats and spits and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's how you knew the Holy Spirit was at work in him, you know, with just all that going on. And I was acting up by myself on the front row, and my dad, mid-sentence, snatched me up and administered church discipline they would call it abuse today, but it was church discipline <laughs> at that point, and set me down and never missed a beat in his message. That's a memory that's emblazoned in me. We lived for a while in the basement of a church. As a little kid, I started in Christmas programs, you know, wearing like robes, you know, and stuff like that in, in, in the church. Uh, I played in the orchestra. We, I grew up in a small church, and we went to church three times a week, and Sunday night, We'd have an orchestra. Does that mean we practice? No. If you played an instrument, you come on up to the orchestra and play. I remember one night we had four bass guitars. Now, if you are a musician, you know you only need one. But we had four. And we would play. And, and one of my friends went on to be what Guitar Player Magazine called the greatest guitar player in the world at the time in the 1990s. And we it, it came out of that little church because a lot of rhythm and blues came out of small Pentecostal churches. If you saw the Elvis movie, he grew up in a small Assembly of God church and, and we went to church all the time. It impacted my life. I met my friends in church. I found God in church. I grew my faith in the church. I got my first kiss in the church. I, I remember where it was exactly. I found my wife in the church, and it wasn't that first kiss. It was several other kisses, and then I landed the, the, my, my wife. But I found her in the church. Uh, I found my purpose in the church. We buried our loved ones in the church. I learned to make a difference in the church. I love the church because the church has changed my life. How many of you would agree with that, would you? Maybe you don't have that background. Not very many people do. But you could testify that the church has changed your life. Maybe this church has changed your life and your family. You know, there are a lot of unique characters in the church. Would you agree with that? Just look around. Just look around. You know, I love the story of Noah and the ark, which is a picture of the church. Noah built an ark in response to God's command. And he wanted to save his family, and he found himself as a pastor of a unique flock. There were birds in Noah's church. They were picky eaters. They would just cherry pick the good stuff. We have birds in our church. They do that. They like the then part of the if-then scriptures, you know, take all the promises and kind of cherry pick on those. And we have some snakes in the church. Do you guys have snakes in your church? They're called Packer fans. And... Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd get a response. You know, you know what an atheist is in, in uh, Wisconsin? That's somebody that doesn't believe in uh, 
Vince Lombardi, yeah, yeah. It's just for fun, I'm trying to get friends. There are lambs in the church, you know, soft and cuddly, they love peace and light and you just wanna hug them, and, except for some of them. I, I know I got in church, one of the reasons I got in pastoring is that picture of lambs, you know, and the shepherd. I thought lambs were fluffy and soft and until I started pastoring and found out that there, there were some lambs that bite. Uh, biting sheep, and uh, and some of them have a taste for shepherd. They're rabid, and a lot of them came out during COVID. You know, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. But uh, anyway, I could go on and on and on. But our job, Noah's job, was to feed them and keep them alive. And this week, I I just want to have fun. But I I, I want to talk about something very important this week. Uh, I I want to talk to you about the church. Uh, I love the church. No, no, I was telling the early service. Normally, you get your best, when you speak somewhere else, you got a list of your best, you know, your greatest hits and your best messages. This is the first time I've preached this one. I, I just felt like I had a word for you guys, and, 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 and it's something that's welling up inside of us. We're going to read from the book of Hebrews, and I, I, I want to today, I, I want you to see with fresh eyes the thing that has influenced more people than anything else on the planet. Today we gather as the church with incredible potential and incredible means of influence. There's more resources, more talent, more potential for good today in the local church than in any government agency, social agency, or institution in the world. We believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I believe that. And so I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. I want to give you a real simple, maybe not not easy, you know there's a difference between simple and easy, but I wanna give you a simple message about the church and why the church matters and what your place is in it. And I, I wanna look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 through 25. Here's what I'd like us to do. Let's read out loud. Do you guys read scriptures out loud here? Uh, we do it in South Carolina just to prove we know how to read, okay? So <laughs> let's do it together here and in the campuses. Let's read Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let's go. Let us hold unswervingly. A lot of times when we read out loud, we move our lips, okay? So let, let's do this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me give you three ideas about the church. Here's the first one. Our hope in Christ is what makes us the church. What makes us the church? It's our hope in Christ. No one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's the only book in the New Testament that was anonymous. But the early church fathers believed that it was inspired. That's why it's in our Bible today. It's a unique book in that it's, it's essentially a book full of, of warnings. It warns us to make sure that we know that Jesus is the center of the Bible and the center of the church. That's easy for us to get distracted by you know, the rules in the Bible, we forget that really what we're doing when we read our Bible is we're reading a story. It's about a story. In fact, 
uh, Sinclair Ferguson said religion is mainly advice, which is a little bit of story sprinkled in. But Christianity is mainly a story with a little bit of advice written in. So when you read your Bible, I want you to read it as story. It's a, it's a story about a God who created everything, the mountains, the moons, the stars, the seas. It's amazing. But the prize of his creation was you and I. We're human beings made in the very image of God. And the story tells us that we, collectively as human beings, rebelled against God going our own way, and we set in motion, God did, a cosmic rescue plan by sending Jesus to live the life that we should have lived and dying a death that we deserved. And he began this thing called the church. And in the New Testament, we see that he takes a ragtag group. I mean, this is not, like if they had a draft, like the NFL does, or the hockey league does. You guys play hockey up here, right? We don't, we don't have a lot of ice in South Carolina. But if you took a draft and said, we're gonna have a first round draft choice. These guys Jesus chose that none of the other rabbis were choosing them. Okay, they, they, they were not. They, they were a ragtag group of men and women. And they planted churches all over the world. That's kind of the same thing we're doing with ARC. Is we're just a ragtag group, and we're just planting churches everywhere we can go because we believe that the local church is the hope of the world, and we believe every community needs life-giving churches like Substance Church. Would you agree with that? Here's what I find. I find when, when somebody moves to a town, and they stay for a while, and they say, people aren't as friendly here, we don't fit in here, that type of thing. Here's, here's, here's the, the, the one major thing that makes a town attractive. It's not the climate. It, it's, it's not a lot of things. It's when they find a local church that's life-giving. They find friends. They get connected to small groups and stuff. And people say, yeah, I love this place. The church impacts everything, everything, everything. And so... And so what makes the church the church is not buildings, it's not programs, it's not outreach, those things are good. But at its core is that we all confess Jesus as our hope in life and death. Faith in Christ alone, through faith alone, is why that we're here. And that's what Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says. It says, let us hold unswervingly. Can you say unswervingly? unswervingly. Now let's, let's hold on to it. Let's hold on to this, to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Hold on swervingly. You know, the temptation is always, 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 every day to put our hope in something else. We're tempted to put our hope in our own ingenuity, our own creativity, or we put our hope in our career. We put our hope in a person. You can't believe this wonderful person that I met. They're, they're incredible. They're not like all the other losers that I've met in my life. This person is unbelievable. Or we put our hope in the government. Oh, did you see who we elected? The man with this, the most important election ever, and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 23 says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. How many of you have ever been disappointed in people. Anybody here? Has anybody here ever been disappointed in the government? <laughs> if you put your hope 
in anything other than Jesus, you will be disappointed at some point. You put your hope in me. I love doing good things, but if you hang around me long enough, I will disappoint you. Don't give it, amen, Peter. <laughs> I will. But it says, those who hope in me, they'll never be disappointed. So he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And that verse, it says confession. That's a different version. See the word confession? It means to disagree with. And I know that, you know, some of us probably aren't there yet. But the hope of our church is that you would confess or agree with God that Jesus is who he said he was. Friends, that's what unites us. That's why we're here. It's Jesus. It's easy to enjoy the music and be able to practically apply the messages. Uh, Peter and Carol and the team here, they're so good. But if you miss having faith in Christ, you're missing everything. Our great opportunity is not only to experience the blessing of being in the church, but to give our lives to the God who created the church. Now, here's what we're gonna do at the end of this message. I'm kind of high maintenance. Actually, I'm pretty low maintenance. But I called uh, these guys, and I said, I'm preaching this weekend. I got a new sermon. I'm kind of jazzed about it. And here's what I'd like to do. I wanna sing a song at the end. I'm not gonna sing, because that would be horrid. That would, that would ruin your day. But could you guys sing a song? And so at the end of the service, we're gonna sing a song together called This I Believe, and it's basically just the Apostles' Creed, and here's what's cool about it. It's a confession of faith sung down through the centuries. Christians are singing all over the world, but they've sung it down through the centuries. We're, we're gathering together to get today with the Universal Church. That's so exciting. I, I sent a text out this morning to 700 pastors. It, 400 characters is all they'll let me do. Sent it to their, sent it to their message box. And it, and it said this, hey, this is gonna be a great day! Amen. Exclamation point. I like using exclamation points. In fact, I had two of them. Why is it gonna be a great day? Because we get to gather with the church not just the church in your city, not just the church in your country, but churches all over the world and churches from the beginning of Jesus forming the church until now. And we celebrate the fact that Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the reason we gather. And faith and hope in Christ is what makes us the church. Here's the second point. Our love for one another is what we do in the church what we do in the church. He says, uh, next part of the verse, he says, and let us consider, and let us consider. All of us considered a lot of things before coming here today, right? Think about this. Before you came into the church, what did you consider? What should I wear? That was your first consideration, right? What should I wear? Some of you did a good job. <laughs> should I bring coffee or should I get it at the church? Do I talk about Starbucks or, or do I get it at the church? Okay, consideration. Should I scream at my kids on the way to church or on the way home? <laughs> my wife and I drive separate cars to the church because we found out it's much easier to worship Jesus <laughs> when you haven't had a fight with your spouse on the way to church. <laughs> Solve that, drive separately, okay. So 
Where should I park? Where should I sit? All kind of considerations. But the author of Hebrews is challenging us as a church to consider something else. Look at what he says. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's why, that's why we're here. What, what if, what would it look like if we came to church thinking about how in the world am I gonna encourage somebody today? How am, I, how am I gonna spur somebody up? What would happen if we showed up thinking about who we could help others love and, and do things for God? See, it's so easy to come to church and worship the wrong trinity, me, myself, and I, right? But we worship the triune God. The real trinity is about a relationship. Get this, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been together in relationship forever. And the church is a reflection of this triune God. The Father loves and serves the Son. The Son loves and serves the Father. The Spirit loves and serves the Son. The whole universe is based on self-giving and other affirming. That's the DNA of God, and it's our great opportunity as the church. In fact, listen, would you agree that our country is about as polarized as it's ever been? It may not be polarized in Minnesota. Let me tell you something. They fighting about everything in South Carolina. Everything, okay? Here's what's exciting about that. What's the solution to that? It's the local church. It's the local church. If we will be the church and let us consider how we can love one another, how we can encourage one, we come together on a weekend, on a Sunday morning, and we're thinking about how can I, how can I encourage somebody? How can I love somebody? Hey, they don't vote the same way I do. Who cares? We're all, we're all a part of God's kingdom. How can I encourage them? How can I love them? Let me tell you something. If the church is the church, and the church hasn't been the church, but if the church is the church, we can make this thing better. We can change the world. I believe that. We can change our, our families. We can change our communities. We can change the world. You know, um, last weekend, I woke up on Sunday morning thinking about this. I wasn't preaching last weekend, and, uh, but I went to church, to, to my local church. And so I woke up and I thought, how in the world can I encourage somebody today? And I started really getting excited about being at church. I was excited, you know, we'll worship together. We have a great worship team and you know, the preaching will be good and all that. But I was excited about being in the foyer. Now, I am not an extrovert by nature, okay? Might look like it when I preach, but I'm not. I, I like being alone. Uh, it just encourages me to, I encourage myself really, really well, okay? But I go and stand in the foyer because I think that's a, a discipline that, that I need in my life, and I encourage people. I, I, I'm a hope peddler. I just, I, we have a funny term. When I show up in a, 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 into a group of people at Seacoast or uh, I, I show up at work and I just walk into somebody's office and they say, do you need something or are you just here to be a, a blessing? And uh, I'm here to be a blessing. I'm just here to encourage you. And so I was, I was excited about being in the foyer just to encourage people because that's what Hebrews says to do. And so uh, this family came up to me and they say, do you remember us? Now, that's scary. Because a lot of times the next thing that somebody's gonna say, do you remember my name? And if I say, no, help me with that, they feel disappointed because they are so important I should have remembered them out of the thousands of people that we meet all the time, right? This family didn't do that. They just came up, do you remember us? And then they said, they started in something, and they said, you were in the foyer here about four years ago, and we came and we visited, and you said something, and they told me what I said, 
And they say, God used that to literally change our lives in that moment. And what I said was not profound in my mind or coming out of my lips. In fact, I would call it a throwaway. But God used it because he knew that they needed exactly what I had to say. You say, well, you're a preacher. Well, you know, you know what the difference between Peter and I and Carolyn and you? Um, we're, we're paid to be good. You're good for nothing, okay? And so we're just, we're all in full-time ministry. All of us, everybody here is in full-time ministry. Some of us are in vocational ministry. It just means we're paid to be good. You can be good for nothing. And so, and so, and so here, here's, the, here's the deal. Listen, um, look at, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part. The church is described as a body, and everybody's necessary. Have you ever stubbed your toe and realized that your toe was necessary? I have a friend who cut off his thumb while doing some work, the end of his thumb. He never thought about his thumb. Now he thinks about it all the time. And he can't give a two thumbs up to anybody, okay? We're all... We're all necessary. And chances are someone around you needs what you have to offer today. That's why you're here. God placed you in this church today. Not just for you, but because there's somebody that he wants you to encourage. And so I, I want you to do that. And, and, uh, and, you know, maybe God wants you to encourage somebody in your row right now. Or probably it's in the foyer. And you say, that sounds awkward. Just, just say something like, how long have you been coming to substance? And it might end there. Or it may lead God, you know, to, to God using you to encourage somebody. So we're going to practice in the foyer after we're done, okay? So our faith and hope in Christ is what makes us a church. Our love for each other is what we do in the church. Let me give you one more, one more really important thing about the church. Our meeting together is what keeps us connected to the church. Look what he says. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's don't neglect meeting together. You know, there are a lot of stats about church attendance and and, and it's not up and to the right. In fact, um, a lot of people, according to statistics, are going to church less. There's a decline in consistency in church attendance. What does that matter? I'll tell you in just a minute, but let, let me give you a couple of statistics. When I was growing up, if you went to church, you attended church three times a week, 52 weeks a year. Anybody else in that kind of an environment? I'm not saying we go back there, okay, no. But yeah, we, we did. You didn't miss church unless you had a fever of 102. And if you were a Pentecostal like we were, I, I, there were times I would go to my mom with a thermometer to prove I was sick. And she would say, let's go to church, we're gonna get a healing, you know. <laughs> we had faith, all right. Uh, if you were traveling on Sunday, you were expected to visit a local church of your denomination. There wasn't skipping, there wasn't sleeping in, Church attendance was the barometer of spiritual health. Was it a good barometer? Probably not. I know people meaner than a snake that went to church all the time, right? But it's one barometer, 
right? And then in the 2000s, it declined to where really active churchgoers went about three out of four times a month. I saw that happen in our church. Pre-COVID, younger families were going to church two out of four times a month. There's a reality to travel, youth sports, I, I know that. Let me just, I'm a grandpa, can I just encourage you a little bit? I got 14 grandkids. We all think our kids are going to the NHL, NBA, NFL, whatever. They aren't, okay? They aren't. That's mostly about making money. I'm not saying, you know, don't do it, but you're gonna have to work overtime during sports seasons in order to keep your kids connected to the church. You're gonna have to work overtime uh, to get them connected. I'll give you a statistic in just a minute. Uh, COVID has knocked church attendance down by an average of 40%. I, I, I deal with thousands of churches. And 40% of the people uh, have kind of disappeared from COVID. At first it was staying home because, you know, of the, of the, uh, the, you know, the physical, medical deals. But I have a friend who loves our church, gives to our church, and hasn't been there in two years. Why? They got out of the habit. To me, that's the biggest spiritual thing that's happened as a result of the pandemic, is that people have gotten out of the habit. Why does that matter? Because the facts are, the less we attend, the more disconnected we become. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 in the NIV, it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's easy to get out of the habit of meeting together and the consequences are not good. There's negative consequences to your spiritual life. You begin to be influenced by other things. The Bible calls it being conformed to the world's values. This is uh, Roman, or, uh, yeah, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it's not on, on, on your outline or whatever, but it says don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when we get out of the habit of meeting together, we begin to be conform to the world. You find yourself more open to greed and lust and anger and self-centeredness. Then there's impact on families. It can be devastating. It can be devastating. I found a statistic that if neither parent attends, there's a 6% chance that kids, when they grow up, will. If it's the mom only, 15% chance that the kids will. If it's the dad only, it's a huge uh, uh, lift to 55%. If it's a two-parent family, if it's a mom and dad, there's a 76% chance that kids will. And sometimes we, and thank God for, you know, online church and all that. I, we, we've got all that. We've got thousands of people that attend online. But what I want to say to you is think about your family. You're going to have to work hard during these days to 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 to. to, to to, to allow God to be where it is. There is a discipline to regularly being a part of a local church. I have a friend who's been my friend for about 27 years now. Started going to our church 27 years ago and he and I have been meeting together at least once a month for 25 of those 27 years. And uh, he's, he was, when he first came, he was a life insurance salesman and then he got his own life insurance company and then a dream in his heart as a as a young man was to get into politics. And so he, he took an office on Charleston County Council and then he became the, the president of Charleston County Council and then he became a state representative and then there became an opportunity to become um, 
uh, a uh, national representative, House of Representatives, and he did. And then he became a senator. In fact, he's the first Republican African-American senator since Reconstruction, just after the Civil War. His name's Tim Scott. And uh, Tim and I um, do our goals together every year, and we set spiritual goals and physical goals. I don't do well on those. Um, and mental goals, you know, uh, growth goals in all kind of areas. And I remember the first year he became a senator. And, uh, and he, 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 he had his goals. And one of his goals was to be in church 42 weekends out of the year. 42. And I said, well, we'll find you a church in Washington. Whatever. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I am going to be in the local church 42 weekends a year. I said, Tim, you're a better Christian than me. I'm not going to be in church at Seacoast 42 weekends out of the year. Why? Then listen to this. I want you to hear this. I said, why? He said, because Washington will corrupt me. He said, I will be conformed to a worldview, and I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Now, does that happen in Bible study? Yes. Does it happen in your personal disciplines? Yes. But it happens in the local church. This guy today, he's in huge demand because he's one of the biggest fundraisers anywhere. And what he will do is he will fundraise, fundraise for other people, come in uh, Saturday night to Charleston, come to church. I know which service he's in. I know where he sits and his mother sits next to him and he takes her to lunch and then he flies out fundraising again. It would be easier just to skip the church part and understand it, but he doesn't want to be conformed to the world. I don't want to be legalistic and that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about the Bible. So let's be disciplined here. Let's make it a priority that says, I'm going to be in the church. What, what if we thought of the church this way? It's a place we're training and understanding the word, learning to worship, learning to love, learning to manage our money, learning to raise our kids, losing hangups and struggles with sin and strengthening our spiritual muscles and coming to church. It's spiritual training. So why the church? It's God's plan A. It's why Jesus died. It's how we can learn to love. It's the hope of, uh, for worldwide transformation. So as I close, let's go back to the first question I asked. Who or what has been the biggest single influence in your life journey? Is the church on the list? Is it even in the top 10? This, every weekend I think about the potential of our gathering to change generations I think about my grandfather and what his decision did to change our family. A decision that he made changed the course of history for my father, for me, for my sons and daughters, and now a new generation of future world changers. I want you to think about that. What if we all took our next step in the church today? Some of us will take our first step and we'll acknowledge our sin and receive Jesus Christ as our sacrifice and our hope. Others of us are going to be more intentional about spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Some of you will, will take the next step of being a part of the growth track. You know, Others will find opportunities to serve and care and encourage. And we're going to go in the foyers and we're going to ask God before we come to church in the morning, God, use me to encourage somebody. All of us will make a bigger priority to 
being together as often as we can. And we're going to join our voices with Christ followers throughout the ages proclaiming this. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe. We're going to stand and sing and celebrate that in just a minute, but I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you right now? God, I thank you for this wonderful group of people. God, I thank you for this church called Substance that's impacting this part of the world. God, I thank you for each one of us who are gathered here today. And I pray that we would make, make our next step, whether that's committing our lives to Jesus, whether that's just taking a place in the body of Christ, whether that's making sure that our habits are good and that we're doing what will impact generations in the future. God, I pray that your kingdom will come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Greg. Man, such a good word. Pastor Greg, thank you for being a